Hi, it's Jessica Fritz Aguirre. Welcome to Walk Softly Children, a Clovercrest Media Group podcast. As you all know, I've been doing everything and anything to try to get this case more attention. So recently, I was interviewed about Doreen's case on WICC 600 AM in Milford, Connecticut. That's home to Mark Vincent and his church, Milford Christian. The service area hits many points relevant to Doreen's story, Milford and Bridgeport, where she spent a lot of time with her dad, as well as Waterbury, where Doreen sometimes lived with her mom, Donna. I had a chance to speak to the fill-in host on the afternoon show, who just happens to be the producer of this podcast, and my husband, Joe Aguirre. Have a listen as we provide an overview of Doreen's case and share its status today, as well as our next steps. I am Joe McGuire. My next guest is an attorney and the host of the podcast, Walk Softly Children. She's also my wife, Jessica fritz Welcome back to WICC. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Now, uh, I, I had you on uh, at some point last year to tell this story. Uh, it was the one time. So if you could just briefly uh, this podcast, you're in your third season. You have been following a missing person case that came about in Wallingford, Connecticut in 1988. Um, the man uh, who is the prime suspect in this case has been uh, living in Milford uh, for most, I think, the last 30 years or so. Uh, arrested last year on a gun charge and uh, things are now unfolding here. Just give a, a brief uh, synopsis of what your podcast is about. Okay, so this little girl, Doreen Vincent, was 12 years old, uh, living in Bridgeport, kind of back and forth between her mother, her father, her grandmother, living a bit of a tumultuous life. And her father brought her to Wallingford without telling anybody and brought her to a farmhouse he had rented at the beginning of June 1988. And then about a week later, she went missing. Now, his story, Mark's story about when his daughter Doreen went missing is that they got into a fight. Um, He had previously burned Doreen's diary and her scrapbook in the driveway of the home. He was known to be obsessive about her. He had quite a temper, and he's, he admitted to the police later that he had gotten into a fight with her and pushed her into a window, and she backed up and broke it in the home. Um, there had also been an event, the timing is unclear, but during that week she was living there, that Mark was paddling her in her room so loudly that uh, he told her to take, he told his wife to take her children outside because the screaming was too much and they couldn't take it. So Doreen disappeared. Um, You know, accounts differ. I believe it was June 12th, 1988. Um, She was missing for three days before anybody but Mark and his wife Sharon knew that she was missing. Mark had instructed his wife Sharon, Doreen's stepmother, to not answer the phone, not tell anyone, including Doreen's mother, Donna, where she was or that she was missing. He actually dismantled the phone from the wall, the landline, 1988 landline from the wall, and he told no one. When Donna came to pick her daughter up that weekend for visitation, Mark said she had been gone for three days. He insisted that she had been with Donna, which obviously was not the case. 
her bedroom was stripped. The, the comforter was off the bed and missing. Uh, Mark and Sharon told Donna that they'd thrown it away because Doreen had messed it up. And uh, Donna insisted that they call the police. The police, the Wallingford police, did come out to the house, and they bought Mark's story, which was that she was a runaway, um, that he knew she'd be back. He didn't know where she was. He'd gone out looking for her, but he couldn't find her, and she would be back. Her mother, Donna, knew something was awry, obviously, and tried to tell the police, you know, that that wasn't the case. She was in fear for her daughter's safety. And she also told the police something about Mark that he had sexually abused her two younger sisters, Donna's two younger sisters, when they were 11 and 12. Which was exactly the age Doreen was when this all went down. And Donna was a very young mother. Donna got pregnant um, with Doreen when she was 15 years old. Uh, and married Mark when shortly after she turned 16, and then Doreen was born shortly thereafter. But Donna's two younger sisters were 11 and 12 when Doreen was born, um, and their story has been consistent over the past 35 years that they were being raped and sexually abused by Mark Vincent. Now let's talk about, Jessica, where this story went wrong, because the newspapers, all the newspaper reports that went out about this case— all directly quote the prime suspect in her disappearance, and they treat his word as gospel to the point where when we talk to the Wallingford police, uh, they still kind of see things through Mark's eyes from that day. And, and, and uh, you know, again, forgetting that he's the prime suspect and most likely was lying about everything that he said. Yeah, I mean, in digging down into all of these details about the case, the, the date has been established in the media based on Mark's words that she disappeared on a Wednesday, June 15th. But uh, as you know, Joe, we've been talking about this case for almost five years now. I mean, we've really dug down to the fact that it was June 12th. So instead of just being missing for three days, we think it was more like yep. six. Um, you know, a, a couple other things, um, you know, where Mark says he last saw her um, in the house, and then he went out to his wood shop outside, came back in, and he said Doreen was missing. She'd gone out the front door. His wife later told the police that that was impossible because the front door of this old farmhouse had a deadbolt that you could only unlock from the inside with a key, and Doreen did not have that. So that would have been impossible. Um, you know, so for Mark to say this is where she was last seen, this is what she was wearing, you know, all of those are just through his words. Um, and it's not trustworthy, but it's been really hard to get the police to come around to the more likely version of events because they are still stuck, as the Record Journal in Meriden and Wallingford has been stuck on recounting those details um, as Mark told them. Right. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, at one point I was interviewed by the Record Journal and I explained to the Record Journal, like you guys keep republishing old stories that you wrote incorrectly 30 years ago, citing the murderer at like his word is gold. Stop doing that. Uh, and yep. instead they ran it. They ran it with an article that they did about you, but they ran that article as like the front page news, republishing right. again all the old nonsense. 
Yeah, and you know, that article was from 1990, which was already, I believe, a year and a half after she had gone missing. One of the biggest pieces of misinformation was that she left with a denim jacket on. Now, Doreen had this denim jacket that she was in love with. It was 1988. It was acid-washed. And, you know, they constantly say, and this is even on the Charlie Project, which is a prime site for information about missing children, that Doreen was last seen wearing this denim jacket. Now, that's just not true. I've actually touched and seen the denim jacket because it's with her mother now. Now, that denim jacket was hanging in the closet of Doreen's room, as were multiple items that Mark said, her father said that she had gone missing with. All of that was in the closet. was her purple Reeboks. She had a, a tape deck that she had. And had the police just gone into Doreen's room and looked, they would have noticed that all of those items that he said she went missing in and with were still at the house. Yeah, this was some really sloppy police work here. Uh, in the aftermath of all this, too, then, um, while everyone's out looking for Doreen, Mark is doing quite the opposite and then flees the state for some time. Yes, he. the police didn't have an eye on him for quite some time. And in the paper, that's just reported as Mark moved addresses. He was in Connecticut. The police couldn't find him. And I have spoken extensively to his family, including his brother Brad, out in California. Now, Mark has four siblings, and they all hate his guts. And they all think that he had something to do with Doreen's disappearance. But Mark just showed up in the fall of 1988 at his brother's house um, and got kicked out shortly thereafter. As for looking for Doreen, you know, what Mark was really doing was tooling around the state. We have his phone records, making random calls back and forth um, and visiting with people that he didn't tell Doreen was missing, including his own mother, who he visited on Father's Day. Now, his mother, Dorian's grandmother, was already aware that Dorian had gone missing because Donna, Dorian's mother, had called her mother-in-law or her ex-mother-in-law pleading, you know, do you know where Dorian is? Have you seen her? So when Mark showed up on that Sunday, <clears throat> excuse me, on Father's Day, Lori, Mark's mother, was well aware that Dorian was already missing. And she didn't say anything to her son, but she tried to bait him, tried to get him to talk to her about Dorian. She gave him peas from her garden she said these are Doreen's favorite bring them to her for me and Mark said okay and she said he was in the garden helping her garden and he didn't have a care in the world and he didn't mention his daughter one time so as far as looking for her you know he was with his mother he was with a family friend again didn't mention that his daughter was missing so there was no sense of um, urgency, mm -hmm. just like, you know, it's troublesome that he took the phone off the wall because if she was missing, how could she call? She decide to call home. Right. We are on the, uh, we are live with my wife, Jessica Fritz Aguirre, host of the podcast, Walk Softly Children. You can uh, find it on iTunes, Google, Amazon, pretty much every, well, it is on every single podcast platform. Uh, Jessica, thank you for being here. Uh, let's pick up the story from uh, Mark eventually, uh, so we, we people should understand too, Mark is a career-long criminal. Um, and he had, had gotten in trouble in the late 70s for burning a disco down in New York. 
And so, oh, I about the disco, yeah. Yeah, there's so yep. much you could forget about this story, uh, but it, it's only relevant in that he was a convicted felon and therefore ineligible to own a gun. That's right. That's right. And so when he was eventually, the police eventually in the spring and summer of 1989, uh, new cops came in and they decided, wait, there's something fishy about this story. It doesn't add up. And Doreen still hasn't been found, right? It's not like she's turned up, you know, at the pizza parlor or a gas station somewhere. So they started asking questions, and it turned out that Mark had made his wife, Sharon, go purchase him a gun in Meriden, Connecticut. Now, again, he wasn't allowed to have one as a felon. He made her go buy one, and he had it on him. She tried to return it to the shop where she'd purchased it. And, again, with the temper, he got mad at her, made her go back and get the gun. And when he was eventually found, uh, they conducted a search warrant of his mother's house, and the gun was there. Funnily enough, he was found, Joe, when his new girlfriend called up because he was burning her clothes in a fire pit in Wallingford. So this guy's a firebug. You know, he liked he burned the scrapbook and the diary. He was burning his wife's or his girlfriend's clothes. But that's eventually how they found him when he was back in Connecticut. So he was prosecuted for that, the unlawful possession of the gun in 1991, and I believe sentenced to four years, served two. And then after that, excuse me, he was just back out um, on the street. So fast forward to 2003, uh, is the next development in this case. Mark is apparently addicted to drugs, dope sick, uh, and is looking to cut a deal with Wallingford. He says he has some information about Doreen. Uh, he and his lawyer and the prosecutors and the police, they never end up getting on the same page. He wanted full immunity. They said no, and so that doesn't happen. Yeah, and this has been one of those weird stories, right? There are so many weird aspects to this case. The police told me he tried to broker the steal in 2003. He said, look, I want full immunity. I don't think he said, I'll tell you where Doreen is or I'll tell you what I did to Doreen. He said, I'll impart information relevant to the disappearance of my daughter, which is a different thing, right? And a weird thing to sort say of, about your daughter. A weird thing to say about your daughter sort of suggests that perhaps someone else might be involved, which, you know, we have not ruled out, uh, but somehow, you know, the prosecutor wised up or um, changed his mind, and it, it turned. they were like, we're not going to offer this guy full immunity for anything. His 12-year-old daughter is still missing. Um, and, you know, I've, the police gave me that bit of information. They said, we want to see what you do with this piece of information. And I said, okay, give me the records. Where's any write-up, any notes about this meeting? Can I talk to the prosecutor? And they said, no, it was never written down. It was never recorded. Uh, The prosecutor that was in charge of that decision has retired, um, and you can't speak to him. And it it was just sort of lost in the wind. Which is so ridiculous. Uh, And then so from 2003, fast forward to you. Uh, In 2019, there really hadn't been anything happening on this case. Mark was now involved in a... Uh, Christian-based rehab program, uh, kind of living the good life. 
That's right. It's called Teen Challenge, and it's a franchise across the country. Uh, I think, Joe, when you and I first heard that title, we were very nervous that Mark was working with teenagers. But this particular organization in New Haven and Teen Challenge of New England was for adult men only, and it's a Christian recovery um, addiction group. He had been there with his, his best friend, apparently, this man called Pastor Rick Welch, they came up together in the organization. They graduated together, and Mark had been living there for quite a while and had was doing custodial work for the organization and some contracting work through them as well. But as soon as this podcast took off, I got calls from the guys at Teen Challenge left and right, you know, wanting to be anonymous, but telling me, this guy's terrible, this guy's abusive. He flips out. He speeds on the highway. He's thrown guys out of moving vehicles. I mean, it, he's he's basically a menace to society. Also, to refute the accusations that have been leveled against him as the prime suspect in his daughter Doreen's disappearance, he tried to convince the members of Teen Challenge that that's not true because he has another daughter, and he tried to present that uh, as evidence that he hadn't killed his daughter. That's right. So he had two children. Their names are Paul and Sarah. They were three and two at the time of Doreen's disappearance. They were actually in the house at the time of Doreen's disappearance, which is funny because when Mark tells this story about, you know, going out and he he was out for he doesn't know how long and Doreen went missing, we're talking an extremely rural area of Wallingford. If anybody's been up to Gouveia Vineyard, this the Gouveia Vineyard was not there at the time it's just a big sprawling expanse of um farmland i don't even know if there are lights up there you know joe you and i were going to try to do the walk yeah from the farmhouse to the center of town to see how long it would take um and i you know in the dark there's there's no I, what do they call them i guess uh you know sides of the road uh, sidewalks, right. There's no sidewalks or walkways. It, it, it's right. And again, basically what we have figured out is and, and there is zero evidence that the second uh, she walked off that property, there's no evidence to suggest that that happened at all. She's never yeah, been seen no off of that property. So it's likely she died right there uh, in that farmhouse on Whirlwind uh, Hill Road in Wallingford. Now, uh, you turn up the heat on Mark. Uh, the, the Teen Challenge people are turning against him. He flees to their other campus in New Hampshire. You alert the Vermont. Wallingford police. Vermont. I'm sorry, Vermont. I do always. I, I confuse Vermont and New Hampshire. I know. <laughs> it's the same state Wait, to me. I, just, I, do, I do want to go back do to it. the point that you made because I think it's important. So his daughter, Sarah, who was two at the time Doreen was missing, it's actually very sad because this girl, this woman now, does not remember anything about her sister as her brother Paul does have memories. And so she, it makes her sad, right? Because she doesn't remember her sister at all. But uh, she did come to visit Mark at Teen Challenge once. You know, the podcast was ongoing. Mark knew that there was suspicion around the campus um, about Doreen having disappeared into thin air. And he told the men there, you know, my daughter's coming to see me today. I know that you've heard that my daughter went missing, but that's not true because she's coming to see me today. And yet it was Sarah and not Doreen who would have been substantially older and obviously alive, right? Um, 
who was coming. But that's, that was just not the case. That's another odd thing for a father to do, obviously. Um, well, what about, Joe, when you and I called him, or you called him, I should say, in the very beginning of this project, and you had a chat with uh, Mark, and what did he say to you? He said he didn't want to go over it. He'd been over this over and over again, uh, and that he would see his daughter in glory. And I didn't catch that when he said it, but you... I sure right did. I said, what do you mean? Is she dead? Do you think she's dead? And he got very upset. And then I mentioned pedophile rings, and he suddenly calmed down, and he blamed it all on a pedophile ring. Right, which is a different story. A much different story than any other story he's told. Yeah, he'll, he's a storyteller, this guy. Uh, so he's, he's uh, up at the Vermont campus. Uh, he's, he's scared for his life. He thinks the cops are, are honing in because of your work here. Uh, so he ends up stealing a gun, which is a big no-no. Uh, and he makes his way to Milford, Connecticut. Well, let's talk about who he stole the gun from really quickly. Well, his son, of course. (laughs) Right. So, um, you know, Paul Vincent, Doreen's brother, was talking to me for a bit. Um, He was very anti his father. He told me he was convinced his father had done it. He supported my work. And then shortly after that, he was at Teen Challenge with his father in New Haven. And I said, Paul, that worries me. You know, take care of yourself. And he said, I'm too woke to be brainwashed. Yeah, this kid's a genius, too. Takes right after the old man. Um, so, listen, so I, I, I got about a minute and a half, oh, so I yes. we, we do need to fast forward to uh, kind of where the story is now because uh, he does get arrested in February in Milford, uh, spent some time in jail. And the Wallingford police felt like he was going to be there for a long time. And they're like, Jess, great job. He's not going anywhere. They felt good about things. He's out. He is. It was just a retread of what happened when he made Paul's mother, Sharon, purchase him a gun, you know, in 1988. He got caught with his son's stolen gun. His son's actually the one who dropped the dime on him. He got arrested in the parking lot of Milford Christian Church, which was run by Another best friend of his, Pastor James Loomer, um, and that has that has led down an, a whole other rabbit hole. There's a rat's nest of abuse going on over there. Um, Pastor Loomer and his acolytes, I guess you would say, turning their heads to a great deal of abuse of children. And word is Mark confessed to multiple people at the church, including the pastor, and they decided the church wasn't going to do anything about it, and they were going to sit on it. Yeah. So uh, give us the latest here. He's he's out, or he's about to get released to a halfway house? And, no, um, he's at a halfway house. So he became eligible for, for parole. They decided this guy somehow was a great candidate for parole. They, let, they were supposed to let him out at the end of July. And then they just took another look, and they said, no, actually, he's— such a great candidate for parole we're gonna let him out and he got out uh i think on the 18th and now he's at a halfway house in bridgeport and uh you're not going to give up on this case what have you got planned uh while mark is out to uh continue this case and to draw attention to doreen's disappearance Oh, I've got billboards. So if you go to GoFundMe, it's called Billboards. Excuse me, Billboards for Doreen. 
It's under my name, Jessica Fritz Aguirre. You can donate. We need about $8,000 for two billboards, one in New Haven near Milford and one in Bridgeport near where Mark's daughter grew up and where he currently resides. My hope is that, you know, someone does know something. I mean, he couldn't have kept his mouth shut for this long. Um, and I want to put pressure on not only him, but anybody that he might have spilled his guts to. Somebody yep. knows something about the case. Those those billboards will be going up at the beginning of June uh, in the Bridgeport, Milford, Wallingford areas. Look for them again. Uh, you can visit clovercrestmedia.com backslash walk softly children. Learn more about the podcast, uh, which, again, as I said, is available on all of the podcast platforms. Walk softly children. Uh, the story of Doreen Vincent, who went missing from Wallingford, Connecticut in 1988. Jessica, keep up that great work. And uh, I know you're about halfway up to the, get that $8,000 uh, to get these billboards going. So uh, kudos to you and, and to your supporters for pushing the fight for justice for Doreen. Thanks. And if we raise more money, it's going to go to Rain, the Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network. Uh, the billboards will be going up on June 12th, which is the 35th anniversary of her disappearance. Jessica fritz host of the podcast, Walk Softly Children. Thank you, and uh, I'll see you in about an hour. I love you. I love Bye. you, too. Have a great day. Walk softly, children. Walk softly, children. Walk softly, children. Find your children walk